I want to ask you to find Isaiah chapter 26 in your copy of the scripture. Isaiah chapter 26. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject matter, peace for the holidays and beyond. The emphasis on and beyond. Peace for the holidays and beyond. And this morning we're going to be looking at the author of peace and the extent of peace and the way of peace. And I'll enlarge on those three points in the message. Would you stand for the reading of God's word please? Peace for the holidays and beyond. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of Isaiah 26. Scripture says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Now I want to underscore verses 3 and 4 because this will be our, our text. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Father, I pray that through the power of your spirit that you would speak to your church this morning and give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us. And Father, during the fretfulness of this season, a season filled with so much anxiety for some, great loneliness and sadness for others, of course, joy, all of these different emotions and states of mind. Lord, I pray that you would be our refuge. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes on Christ that we might get through the Christmas season with the proper perspective and that we might even be a witness to those around us of the reason for the hope that we have. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Psychologists tell us that one of the worst times of the year for stress and anxiety and depression and and fear is now the holiday season between Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know, I think that's sad, it's understandable, but it's also sad because it ought to be one of the happiest times of the year because what are we celebrating at Christmas? We're celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. The, the fact that God sent His Son to be our Savior and die for our sins. So it ought to be a very joyous time of the year and yet we're told that for many people it is a time of great fear and great anxiety. Let's remember the heavenly host that as the heavenly host appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 they said glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. 
Some people have little peace. Some even allow fear to dominate and take over their lives. On August 14, 1989, Time magazine reported the sad story of a man from East Detroit who literally died because of fear. He'd taken a number of hunting trips, hunting expeditions over the years, and he'd been bitten by his share of ticks. And that's when he learned about Lyme disease. Of course, Lyme disease comes from deer ticks. He became obsessed with fear and anxiety that he might have Lyme disease and that he had even passed it on to his wife. Doctors tested him and assured him that he did not have the the disease and they said even if you did we want you to understand you wouldn't pass it along to your wife. That's not the way somebody gets it. But the man didn't believe the doctors. He became paranoid in his fear and anxiety. So paranoid that he murdered his wife and he took his own life. Police found his mailbox stuffed with brochures about Lyme disease and in the mailbox was another appointment from yet another doctor where he was going to be tested for Lyme disease. Now folks, that's certainly a case of fear that involves mental illness. That guy was obviously struggling with mental illness. Not a normal fear. Yet ours is an age of fear and and anxiety and uncertainty and desperate times are all around us. And the Bible says it's only going to get worse. The world is characterized by conflict. Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of natural disasters that take place. He said, but the end is not yet. Talking to a man in our church this week and he said, Pastor, through my decades of life, we've all always had bad things going on in the world because he said, I understand we live in a fallen world where bad things happen, tragedies happen, disasters happen. He said, I understand that. He said, but you know, I've never seen anything like I'm witnessing right now. He said, it's just like this growing wave, a crescendo of things that are happening, one right on top of another, and they're coming with such speed and such intensity that's like every day you cut on the news and there's something new this world as it is will not have peace until people know the one who is the prince of peace you want real peace you want peace for the holidays and beyond you need to know the one who is the Prince of Peace. We see the Lord in His Word talking about that kind of peace in verses 3 and 4 here. A peace that lasts beyond anything that might be going on at any time in our lives. And what we see here in these verses is that this is a peace that comes from God. God is the source of it and it's not dependent on whatever circumstances may be going on in our lives. 
I want you to look with me first of all this morning at the author of peace. The author of peace. Verse 3, what's he say here? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. In other words, the source of this wonderful peace is none other than God himself. In Psalm 29, 11, the scripture says, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. In John 14, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. True peace is something that only God gives. And folks, true peace is a lot more than just the absence of conflict. I've known people who had it made in life. I mean, they, act, they, they absolutely had everything they wanted, could ever desire, and yet they had no peace at all. I've known others in the church that were going through times of, of stress and trials and tribulations in their lives like you would not believe. And yet they say, Pastor, I have never had a peace like this my entire life. How comforting to know that in a world where everything seems to be shaking and shifting, the Christian can stay his mind upon the one who is the rock of ages. God is the author of true peace. But I want to say two things about God being the author of true peace. You need to write these down. First of all, you have to know the author of peace. God is the author of peace, but you have to know the author of peace. I'm speaking of the necessity of salvation. To have peace with God means that you are reconciled to Him. There is no more hostility. You can only truly sense the peace of God as you have peace with God. You must be born again. Scripture says the way you are and the way I am, we are born into sin. The Bible actually says we are dead in trespasses and sins. One of the most unflattering statements in the entire Bible about the human condition would be that in Ephesians 2. Paul says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath just like the rest that's not a flattering picture of humanity but folks it's what the Bible tells us it's what God tells us about our condition apart from Christ Dead in trespasses and sins. And that doesn't just show up in one place in the Bible. shows up in multiple places. Another place would be Romans chapter 3 where Paul is emphasizing the need of everybody for the gospel. Whether you're Jew or Gentile. He says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. And he emphasizes it by saying no not even one. 
The truth of the matter is that man in his natural state is not in a state of peace with God. In fact, the Bible says if you don't know Christ, you're actually in a state of enmity with God. And you know what? There's no doubt in my mind that's exactly where some of you are this morning. You're not in a state of peace. You're in a state of enmity. As I mentioned a moment ago, the angel's announcement to the shepherds was that today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. And this Savior will forgive us of our sins and bring peace on the earth. But again, sadly, some of you know nothing of that peace. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, now keep in mind, Nicodemus was a righteous man in the eyes of people. He was one of the most righteous men in all of Israel. He was one of the main spiritual leaders. And whether he was, we don't know why he came to Jesus by night. Was he afraid of what his colleagues would think? But by night he goes to Jesus one day to talk to him. Because Jesus is saying something that's getting to his heart. The Holy Spirit's working on his heart. And what did Jesus tell him? Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, he will not see. The kingdom of God. He'll not go to heaven. Unless there's something radical that happens from the inside out. From above. From the spirit. And Jesus said there's this mystery about it. You know it's kind of like the wind blowing. You take the wind blowing and it blows over here. It's not blowing over here. Then it blows here. Then it blows here. Then it blows. There, there's, there's a mystery about it. And in John chapter 1 verses 11 to 13, the Bible tells us it's not a matter of man's will. You don't simply just decide to become a Christian. Now yes, as a part of God regenerating you, there's repentance and faith on the part of man. But folks, it's the work of God. It's not, John says in John 1.13, it's not simply a human decision nor a matter of your position or family line or blood. Folks, regeneration is God's work. I'm so tired of hearing reports from people. I'm not talking about people in the church, just emails and all I get. Ministries talking, some ministry somewhere. We went to so and so place and we were able to get 15 out of 100 people to decide to become Christians. We had 10 people last month decide to start following Jesus. I've been in meetings before. I'll never forget about 25 years ago. We, our church at the time, we had this major, major, one of the best known evangelists in the whole nation. He sent a preparation packet before he came to our church. And he said, look, on such and such night, I'll meet with the children, such and such night with youth, such and such night with men, whatever. But if you have 50 children there and you feed them, you feed them pizza and ice cream and you have 50 people there, then we're going to have this many who decide to become Christians. They're going to be saved. 
saved. You have 75 there. And he said, I, I'm pretty well, I'm guaranteeing you'll have this many saved. You have 100 there. And let me do this and this and this and this and this. And then we'll have this many saved. Folks, that is not the way it works. Regeneration is the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin and drawing you to faith in Christ. It, it, it's not a matter of, you know, if I dance this step, dance this step, and check this box, check this box, do this, do that. Woo, I'm saved. I'm, concern, I'm, I'm seriously concerned today in the church that we are losing the doctrine of regeneration. What the doctrine of the new birth means. It's a gift of God. Yes, we preach the word, and through the preaching of the word, through the preaching of the gospel, whether in one on one evangelism or group evangelism, God does his work through the power of his spirit to bring conviction and draw people to faith in Christ. If somebody simply decided to follow Jesus like some kind of business contract, then maybe that's all that happened. They don't have anything more. In fact, they may be in a more dangerous position because they think they have something they don't. And yes, Jesus said anybody who comes to him, he will not turn away because we know anybody coming to Jesus, guess what? The Spirit's been at work there drawing them, right? They didn't just do it. They didn't decide. What am I trying to say? I am trying to say from beginning to end, redemption, salvation, the new birth, regeneration. It's God's work. It is a miracle, folks. It's a miracle, And my question to you this Christmas season, has that miracle taken place in your heart to where you are a new creation in Christ? You're new from the inside out. See, all religion tries to do is change people from the outside in. And it doesn't last. It doesn't work because they didn't get it. But the Spirit of God gets a hold of you from the inside out, regenerates you, He convicts you of your sin, draws you to faith in Jesus Christ. It's God's work in you. Has that happened to you? Have you been saved? Have you been regenerated? And if you have, the Bible says in Romans 5, 1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. You are in a state of peace with God. If you've not experienced the new birth, you're not in a state of peace with God. You're in trouble. You're dead in trespasses and sins. But if you've been born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, just like Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, then you're in a state of peace with God. You've been reconciled to Him. You have to know the author of peace if you want peace, real peace. You have to know the author of peace. But more than that, more than you knowing the author of peace, He has to know you.
The Bible speaks of does he know you? Well, secondly, related to the author of peace, not only do you have to know him, but you have to love the author of peace. And what I'm speaking of here is the need of daily intimacy with God. Jesus said we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, body, strength, mind, everything about us. Now think about that. God is at peace. The scripture calls him the God of all peace. As we love God and we're walking in the power of His Spirit and filled with His Spirit, then we have a constant supply of His peace. As we develop intimacy with Him, we discover more and more of His peace. Because again, an attribute of God is peace. Just like the Bible says God is love, it describes God as a God of all peace. And so as we get to know Him and grow in a relationship with Him, we know more and more of His abiding peace. It is like a river that never runs dry. Now please understand again, once you're born again, you are instantly in a position of peace. But as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you come to realize more and more the extent of this peace. It's like marriage. You walk down the aisle and say, I do. You're you're just as married there, apart from the... Marriage being consummated, but you're just, you're just as married there as when you get out the door. From the moment you say, I do, you're, you're married. But then as the years go by, what happens with the love? What's supposed to happen with the love? It grows. It deepens. I've had people say to me, Pastor... I thought this man that I married, a woman says, I thought I loved him when I married him, and and I I did. Or a man says, I thought I loved her when I married her, and, and I did. But they say now, 30, 40, 50 years later... It is, a, it is a love that is so deep, it is, it is unbelievable. I just thought I loved her back then. You were married then, but the love has grown and deepened. Same way with knowing the God of all peace. From the moment you're born again, you're reconciled to God, you have peace. But then throughout your life, it's supposed to be that same type of growth. Folks, this holiday season, make sure you are keeping your time with the Lord. Make sure. I had an experience this week that I'm not going to give you all the details about because I want the gentleman to be the one one day who will give the details. Had a man in the church, senior adult man, wanted to meet with me. And he said, Scott, Father's Day of 2017, you gave us a challenge. 
You said if all you're doing in your devotion time, you read the open windows, which is good for the purpose it is. But he said, if all, you said that if all you're doing is quickly reading the open windows for that day and a few Bible verses and closing everything up and going to sleep or reading that real quick and running out the door to work. He said, Scott, you said to us, stop it. If that's all you're doing, stop it. You need to start studying the Bible. He said, on the way home, I decide I'm going to do that. He said, so now I block off. He said, and aggravates me like crazy if I have a doctor's appointment or anything that interrupts it. He said, I've scheduled a time in my day and about an hour and a half to two hours every day. He starts showing me all his different study Bibles. He said, are those good? Yeah, those are good. Here's this uh, resource. Here's this resource. And a little simple one-volume commentary. He said, I can understand. It's not what you would use, but it speaks to me. He said, are all these good? I said, yeah. He said, Scott, I want to tell you something. All these decades and decades and decades and decades of my life. He said, I was doing exactly what you told us that we needed to do more than that. He said, on the way home, I thought, I'm going to take that challenge. He said, I get into God's Word every day, and I study it. He said, you would not believe the way the light bulbs have come on and what God is teaching me and how precious my relationship to God is becoming. He said, thank you. He said, I don't know why all these years I feel like now I've wasted. But now with what I've got left, I want to make the most of it. He said, that time every day, he said, it it is just amazing what God is doing in my life. For three hours, he was telling me about what the Lord's doing in his life. This Christmas season... Would you do something like that? You say, boy, that sounds unreasonable. No, lay your social media aside, your TV aside long enough, something else aside long enough to make sure quality time in the Word and in prayer every day. Because what am I saying? I'm saying as you get to know God more intimately, you're going to experience His peace greater. And it's going to be like a river flowing up in and out of you. He did. He said, it. He said, thank you. He said, you've given us those challenges like that before. But some, for some reason that day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a special way. And I took that challenge. And he said, I, I, just, I, I had to meet with you and tell you about it. I'm telling you, and you can choose to ignore me if you want, and some of you will. But if you will do that, cut off the television, lay aside the social media, set aside an hour or two to get in God's Word, really study it, I mean study it, it will transform your life like nothing else. Because the Holy Spirit will take the Word of God and He'll begin conforming you more and more to the image of Christ. If you want to experience God's peace at the holidays, do that. 
And folks, we need to get to know God through His Word. Because if it's not through His Word, just some kind of speculations on our part, guess what? We might have the wrong image of God. But the Scripture is God's Word. It's truth. And so the image of God we get in here is going to be what God wants us to have. Get to know the God of the Bible. And all of these attributes we speak of, love and joy and peace, you're going to see them growing and growing and growing. It's like what the book of Hebrews tells us. This next section we're going to be getting into after the holidays in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, some of you, you ought to be teachers by now. He said, some of you, I'm still having to go over little basics and you're drinking milk and not meat. You need to, you need to train your senses. And he says, those in the church who are, who are growing, they've learned to train their senses. What's he talking about? The spiritual disciplines of being in the Word. Some of you need to do that. Well... The author of peace. Secondly, I want you to see the extent of peace. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And the Hebrew says, you will keep him in shalom, shalom. You see, in the Hebrew, one of the ways to emphasize something, when you really wanted to be emphatic, you would repeat the word. So he doesn't just say you will keep him in shalom, but rather he says you will keep him in shalom, shalom. Emphatic. And it's not English translations try to capture the emphasis by saying something like you'll keep him in perfect peace or you'll keep him in complete peace. But what he's talking about here is the extent of this peace. We are giving a peace that is permanent. He says here you will keep. You will keep. The idea is of a military garrison that God sets around your life and he ministers his peace to you. It's it's permanent. Not only is it permanent, but it is perfect. He says you'll keep him in complete peace or perfect peace. The peace God gives is the peace that surpasses all understanding. The world gives a peace too. And you know what it's based on? Circumstances. Are my circumstances going good? You talk to people who don't know the Lord. If their circumstances are good, they have peace. They have joy. They're happy. Their circumstances turn sour. They're bitter. Something happens. That's the kind of peace that is understandable. It's understandable to human logic. Things going good, you have peace. Things not going good, you don't have peace. We understand that. But the Bible is talking about the kind of peace God gives, the extent of it. It is a peace that surpasses understanding. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It's like those people I talked to you a moment ago. Some people come to me. And some people in our church, you would not believe. You would not believe some of the burdens and trials that some of our people are going through. Somebody wisely said one time, if we could lay out all of our troubles on a table, if everybody put their troubles on a table and pick what they could, if they could have their choice, they would walk back over and pick up their own. They'd take their own back when they looked at everything on that table. 
People in our church, some, some of you going through unbelievable things, and yet you tell me, Pastor, I've got a peace going through this that I, I can't even put into words. I can't explain it. That's what he's talking about here. A peace that passes all understanding. And God will do it. God has the power to do it. All through the Bible we see His power. We see His power in creation. Genesis 1 and 2. He spoke and it was so. In the resurrection of Jesus. You can't get much more defeated for our human life than to be dead and in a tomb. And yet Jesus was dead and in the tomb. And what God do on the third day? Raised Him from the dead. God's power. We see the power of God when the gospel is preached. Paul in Romans talks about the gospel being preached and God's working through that. The power of God in the gospel to to bring about salvation in those who believe. We see the power of God in the saints' lives in the Bible. There's, There's Paul and Silas in a jail at Philippi and they're singing and they're praising the Lord. And God's power comes down and frees their chains. The Philippian jailer sees God's power and says, Men, what must I do to be saved? God's power. God can do that in your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe God can give you a peace that is permanent and perfect? This means yes, this means no. Do you believe God can do it? Amen. Third thing I want you to see is the way of peace. Look at, look, at, look at how this wonderful peace can be ours. He says, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He says, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Folks, it is in your mind where you start fretting. You begin worrying. You get anxious. You begin turning something over and over in your mind. You go to bed worrying about it. You wake up thinking about it. It's in the mind that Satan starts working on you. That's why in Ephesians 6, Paul says, we need to put on the helmet of salvation. And Paul in Romans 12, 12, 1 and 2 says, we need to be renewed in our thinking. Fear and anxiety and all that kind of stuff, the devil uses it to start playing with our minds. What's he say here? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. It involved, what he's talking about here is a mind that is focused on God. Far too often Christians fall apart with worry and distress and fear and anxiety because they've not kept their mind and their focus on the Lord. I wonder how many here today in their lives don't have peace because you're beginning to look at all the crashing waves in your life. We're like Simon Peter who stepped out of the boat and then once he saw the crashing waves, took his eyes off the Lord on the waves, started sinking The waves were there all along. All along they were there. But he had his eyes on the Lord. You belong to Jesus. You know that with a certainty. But you're sinking. 
Because some of you are looking at the circumstances of life more than you're looking at the Lord of life. You wake up every day dwelling on your problems. You have Simon Peter syndrome. You need to get your focus back on the Lord. It's a mindset, just like when the New Testament tells us we are to pray without ceasing. You're to keep your mind on the Lord. It's a, it's a mindset. And so that's the beauty of your devotion time in the morning. Because first thing, you're putting your mind on the Lord. You're not worrying yet about your problems for that day. You're not focused on that yet. You're focused on the Lord so that by the time you get done and you go out to face your problems for the day, you have strength to face them because He is an everlasting rock. He's a rock in the shifting sands of this world. It also involves a heart that is trusting in God, he says. Not only a mind that has stayed on the Lord, but a heart that is trusting in you. Proverbs 3 says that we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. You know who I think of? I think of King David in Psalm 3. King David in Psalm 3, Absalom, his son, is chasing after him because Absalom is going to kill his dad and Absalom is going to become king. And he's chasing David through the wilderness and people start to mock David. Here's David. They've loved David. They start to mock David and they say, there's no help for him in God. And what's David say? Lord, you are a shield for me. And he goes on to say, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Imagine being back in a time when you were in a wilderness and your enemies were chasing you. And David says, I was able to lay down to, lay down to sleep and sleep like a baby. Why? Because his trust was in God. You say, Pastor, I, I want to trust God. How do I do it? You know, trust, sometimes we think it's something nebulous. We can't, we can't really get our arms around. How, how do you trust God? What he says in his word to do, do it. That's where trust begins. What he says to do in his word, do it. Folks, that's trusting God. God, I I would want to do such and such in this circumstance. Or I'd want to do this or I'd want to do that. But your word tells me to do this. So this is what I'm going to do. That's trust. We have a man in our church right now. He's here this morning. I I don't think I'm going to offend him. I always ask permission to share something I've not. But I'll just keep it generic. Godly couple in our church, great examples to people around them. And he was single, a single young man, a young adult, (laughs) and he wanted a wife. Guys, you can understand that, right? All my friends are getting, everybody around me is getting married. I I need a wife. I, I need a Christian wife. Mom and dad, you know what I need to do? In our church, he was saying in our church, there were no young people. There weren't any young women walking through the door. There was nobody there. 
Mom, I got to get out of here. I got to get to a church that's got these singles departments with hundreds of young ladies. I, I got to go shopping for a wife. And his mom and dad said, son, you just stay put. You ask God to bring you a Christian wife. Let him do it. And to his credit, he took that advice. And lo and behold, in a church, didn't have young ladies. Here shows up a young lady. And he's, hmm, interested. She wasn't a Christian. So he thought, I can't date her. That's unequally yoked. But she was hungry to know the Lord. God was working on her. And he was able to lead her to faith in Christ. Then they started dating. Then they got married. And I guess something like 25, 30 years later, they're a great example to us. That's trust. When everything in your mind says, do this, do this, do this. And God's word says, no, I want you to do this. And we say, Lord, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust you. That's the way of peace. To keep your mind stayed on him, your focus on him, regardless of what's going on in your life, and your heart trusting him because you're doing what he says do in his word. Even if you think you got a better plan, do God's plan. That's trust. You want peace this holiday season? That's the way of peace. And he says here in these verses, how long are we to do this? How long are we to keep this up? What's he say in verses 3 and 4? How long? Forever. Forever. Do not grow weary. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you lack peace, start evaluating your relationship with God. Do you know Him? Better yet, does He know you? Get that settled first and foremost. Do you know that you've been regenerated? Have you been born again? If you want peace, settle that. Nothing more important than that. Are you growing in your knowledge of God? He is a God of peace. And so as you get to know Him more, you're going to experience His peace more and more. Christians, I want you to know, if you're not careful, circumstances can rob your peace. Keep your eyes on Him, keep your mind stayed on Him, put your gaze on Him, and keep it there. And do what He says trust. See, peace is not just something we, uh, you know, do this little formula here, this, 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 
you know, we're a microwave society. We want answers like that. But he's talking about something so much more profound in these verses. Keep your heart and your mind on him and trust him. And do it forever. Lord, I pray for that one right now who doesn't have peace. Because they know in their heart of hearts, they don't know the Prince of Peace. They may have joined a church, been baptized, joined a Sunday school class. But yet they know, they know that they've never been born again. God, that's a work that only you can do. And we ask you to do that in them. By the power of your spirit, convict them of their sin. Draw them to Christ and transform their lives from the inside out. God, I thank you for that day back in 1982. You did that in my life. Thank you for your transforming power. Your saving power. I pray for that one right now. Maybe going through something difficult. And it's been so easy. We understand it's been so easy to look on that. And uh, be filled with anxiety and fretting. Lord, help that person to put everything back into your hands this morning. And trust you. Lord, speak to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.